Welcome to the Experience Christian Church Message Podcast. We are a church startup based out of Exton, Pennsylvania, committed to giving the community a fresh start with God and with church. Our mission is to help people experience God's love in a practical way. We would love to connect with you. Would you text ECC info to 94000 or go to our website, experiencecc.org, for more information and to learn how you can be a part of our community. Enjoy today's message. All right, well, good morning again. It's good to have you guys. I need a little bit more energy from you. So, for that, we have an activity. Who's excited? That's, that's what I'm talking about. So let's go ahead and stand up. Here we go. First, give somebody a high five that's near you. All right? Do you like that sound? Not a good sound? It's a good sound. So here's what we're going to do. When my hands cross each other, you make that sound. It's super simple. Watch. All right. If you just clap, you're out. Now, not that. This is the practice round. So this is the activity, okay? The rules are simple. If you clap when this goes by, you stay up. If you clap when they don't cross, you sit down, okay? Look at you. You're smiling. I was, had fear and trepidation coming up with this activity, but you're enjoying it. I like it. At least seven of you are. Here we go. Oh, that's a lot of you. A lot of you are down. That was easy. All right. This is actually a drum audition. Wow. You guys are really bad at this game. There's like seven of you left. All right, here we go. <laughs> I did it. I crossed. I crossed. You're good. Jen, you're good. You're too good for your own good. And you're just, you're just the three that's left. All right, so here we go. You ready? Here we go. Stay in it. Here we go. Super competitive. All eyes on them right now. We got to keep them honest. Four people are in it. Here we go. <laughs> I don't think the rules are clear. Give Jen an appropriate prize for this competition. A round of applause. Now, you either loved or hated that activity. Thank you for playing along. The rules were pretty simple. I thought when my hands cross, you clap. When you don't, you don't. Rules can make a game fun. Rules can make a game complicated. We just started playing this at our home, Phase 10. Anyone enjoy Phase 10? Yes, there's a couple of Phase 10. It's similar to Rummy. There's 10 phases. If you are stuck with cards in your hand at the end of the match, you add that score up. But the score, guess what, is irrelevant if you finish the 10th phase first. Now, we're sitting around the table learning this game, and you can look at the rules. The rules aren't that large. It's, it's a fair amount. But what happens is a couple people pick up on the rules quickly. And guess what happens to those that aren't picking up on the rules? What do they receive? Dirty eyes, like, don't you get it yet? Like, this is old. And the, the game becomes about the rules and not very fun. Like you're just focusing on the rules, focusing on the rules. And before you know it, no one wants to play the game because you're yelling at each other because you're not following the rules. But if you commit to the rules and you get a chance to understand the rules, the games become more fun. Now, if you don't like the rules that are offered, what do we develop? What are they called? House rules. Yes. One of the biggest game with house rules is Monopoly, right? How many of you enjoy Monopoly? How many of you have lost a good friend because of Monopoly, right? <laughs> Probably is the case because you were merciless and kept taking their money. Now, I have a friend, Scott. Their house rules are crazy. Here's what they do. They have a ledger pad that they keep track of the side deals they're making while they're playing Monopoly. Like, I will sell you my get-out-of-jail-free get card. He'll sell that card to someone else. When someone runs out 
instead of just getting this stuff, the person wins. It goes into the middle, and, and then whoever gets, uh, what's, it, what's it called when you, when you get free parking? You get everything in the middle, including the properties. That's a game changer. How many of you would like to play Monopoly with him? No one, right? Because you're like, I don't know those rules. I don't understand them. I don't want to play. Now, leave the world of Hasbro and think about faith. What role does rules play? And when you think about it, like, there is some tension when it comes to rules and it comes to how do we keep our relationship with God good. Like, is it about following the rules? Is it about just living in this freedom that we sing about? How do we relate to the rules when it comes to our faith? I mean, after all, we have the B-I-B-L-E, and what's that stand for? Basic instructions before leaving earth. What page is that on? Nowhere. But we say it about the Bible, right? Like, you're not going to find it in the Bible, but we say, hey, it's good instruction. But is that instruction consistently lived out? Does one church adopt the same kind of practices that another church has? Do you find discrepancies? And does that cause some tension? Yeah, it does. So then you're left with, what's up with the rules and which ones do we follow? I'll give you a safe one that's easy to talk about that could probably ruffle some feathers in the room. And that is, is alcohol a good or a bad thing? Based on where you were raised and based on your experience, you might have a completely different thing. What was interesting at my church that I grew up in, it was a no-no. Not written anywhere as a no-no, but it was assumed it was a no-no. But then I would go to somebody's house and open their fridge. I'm like, what do we have here? What is this? Like, this isn't supposed to be here. And he's like, well, I just kind of do it on the side between ourselves and no one really knows. And then uh, I go to church. I move up to the PA and guess what? They're serving alcohol at parties and not just parties, at dinners. And before you know it, there's wine that's opened. And my wife's like, can I have some? I'm like, no, it's against the rules. And my wife's like, but it's not. And I'm like, but it is, but it's not. And so... It's just this really weird dynamic. And so that's just one safe way to express how the room can be divided over a rule, right? And then you know how the rules happen is people will say, um, it's not about rules, it's about the relationship with Jesus. And so we have all these other things, but we still wonder how do we live in this tension? And if you wonder if it's a tension, you invite someone to church and what do they say? It's just a bunch of rules, right? You invite someone to consider faith, they're like, it's just a bunch of rules. And then they say this, which is hurtful. They'll say, and church is full of hypocrites. In other words, you have rules, but you don't keep your rules. And you're trying to get me to live by the rules that you can't keep, so then you try making me feel bad about the rules that you can't even play by. So when I look around, I see a bunch of churches with different house rules, and so how do we even get on the same page about how to handle the rules? It's a pretty interesting topic. Now, in this room, we could say, how are we supposed to consider rules? And that's part of Reboot. We're saying Reboot, new life for the new year. And so in particular, how do we live out this faith and how do we do it when some of these issues just cause us to spin? It's like your apps when they're, you have too much going on, on your computer and all of a sudden the screen freezes and you see the spinning wheel of death. This topic, if you think deep enough, will give you the spinning wheel of death. Like, what relationship do I have the rules? Because you sit in here this morning, we're looking around, no one's really breaking any rules, everyone's kind of behaving themselves, but get yourself alone in front of your screen, what are you watching? Get yourself alone when someone cuts you off on the road, how are you handling that? That's when the topic causes the wheels to spin a little bit more. This is the verse we've been looking at, it's been 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. It says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us this ministry of reconciliation. In other words, bringing other people to Christ. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. 
and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we see a dual nature here. Like one is we're supposed to be made right with God, and two, we're supposed to encourage other people to come also and be reconciled with God. And so losing just the verses that pertain just to us, let's reread just that section. If any wasn't in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. This is from God. In other words, God initiates this, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This series has been building on each other. So if you missed a week, go back and check it out. But we'll say is, we initially see here there is a separation between God, and we also see there's a separation between others. You can probably, on one hand, count people that you're separated from because of some bad things that happened in your life. Strain in your relationships. And so we know that sin separates. God created humanity in his image, and from the very first relationship, things went awry. They broke a rule. Sin entered the world, and so relationships started to separate. We started separating from God. People started separating from one another, and even the earth had issues. And then we looked at the last week, where we said, how do we become right with God? That word righteous that was on there. How do we become right with God? Is it by trying really hard? Is it by following every rule? And we said, no. Rightness isn't based on your behavior. It is based on your relationship with Jesus, who came and made atonement. In fact, we said this wasn't a new concept. If you look way back in the Old Testament, Abraham... 4,000 years ago, just about. Abraham was declared righteous with God because he believed what God had told him. So that's how we become right. So with that backdrop, what effect do the rules have on us? That's what we're looking at today. We talked about that righteousness on Wednesday night in a small group here, which is a great way to break it down. And we looked at what Jesus said about being righteous. We looked at this the first week, but I'll bring it back up because it's so much fun to read. I warn you, Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you're never going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And you're like, what does that mean? Spiral wheel, right? How do we become more righteous than the guys who are professional righteous people? And the answer is that belief in Jesus. That's what we talked about. So we talked through the lesson. We talked about Abraham. We looked at some of the sins he highlighted. I'll give you a couple examples again. 521, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. A lot of people in the audience said, haven't killed anybody. But then he adds this, if you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, even if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment as well. You've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. A lot of people look at each other and said, okay. But then he says, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And you think, okay, so we're free from rules, yet there's these perfect standards. How do these standards match up with how I live Wednesday and Thursday and Friday? And one guy, he was just really honest. He's like, I don't get this at all. I don't get how I'm supposed to live and how I'm right with God just by believing on him. Like, how does this equate? How do I live this out practically? Is this house rules that you're talking about? Is this actually matter? What about these pet sins? Because we have, when we actually look at these kind of commands, we're left with a couple choices, aren't we? One is we dumb them down. We kind of grade on a curve. We look around and say, how are you guys all doing in this? Uh, I'll give you a, a text here that I hate. 
Ephesians 4.29 for the same reason. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words be an encouragement to those who hear them. The NIV says, do not let anything unwholesome come out of your mouth. In Ephesians 5.3, just a couple verses later, Paul says this, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. When I read that list, I'm left with a couple options, right? Like, how many jokes are too much? Is it okay to watch a comedy? Like, how do I live this out practically? And you have people that live it out practically, right? And they start getting mean about it. Like, you shouldn't do that. What are you thinking? You know how that is. And they start being judgmental. And the people that are pretty good at keeping the rules, how do they feel about themselves? Pretty good, because they're living by house rules. Jesus made it clear, you can't keep all the rules, but if I start keeping enough where I feel better than you, well, then I can start lording it over you and feel better about myself. And that's Jesus' point, like, stop playing house rules. You read enough of the scripture, and you realize, and you get that sinking feeling in your gut, and you're like, man, I just don't measure up. That's what Paul did, and that's kind of the point of the rules that we'll talk about in a few minutes. Paul said this about the rules in Romans 7. He says, I don't really understand myself. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. In other words, none of us are going to argue that it's not helpful to lust after someone, right? None of us are going to argue that it's wrong to fight someone or be angry at someone or demean someone. All of us are going to agree on that rule. What we struggle with is how do we implement that rule? How do we like hold each other accountable? How do we encourage one another about these rules? Like, so then we either start dumbing them down. We make community rules that, well, we're, let's just grade this on the curve. Or if we're honest, sometimes we just think it's too hard. I can't be in relationship with God, so we start walking away. Slowly but surely, we can't live with the guilt we feel. We don't like the feeling of shame when we read these rules, so we stop reading what God says. And all of a sudden, we feel bad about ourselves. We can understand in Scripture where Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So then we're like thinking, oh my goodness, oh, some of us, we get it. We get the grace analogy. Hey, come, 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 follow Jesus. Don't change who you are yet. Come to Jesus. Let him change you. But what happens when you've been walking Jesus for a year or 10 years? 20 years and on Wednesday night you're struggling with the same struggle you've had you start asking yourself like man I don't understand why I keep doing what I don't want to do Paul says it this way what a miserable person I am it's all I feel after I read these texts sometimes right but then he says this who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death um See that word who there? What do we try to fill in? Do we say who? What? What can I do to change this? All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get seven accountability partners that are going to call me every day. I am going to throw my phone away. I am going to sell everything I have. I'm going to, and we start thinking about what can I do in my own strength to be a better rule keeper. And what do we find ourselves being? miserable. We have to change the way we play the game. And instead of looking to God, I'm sorry, instead of looking to ourselves, we look to who, which he answers here. 
who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? He says, thank God, the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The next text there. In other words, thank God, the answer is not, does not come from in here. In fact, every time I read the law, I feel worse about myself. So I can't just start separating myself. I have to turn to something outside of myself in order for any of this to make sense. Because I keep getting stuck in the same cycle, in the same trap when I try to do it on my own. And so I need Christ to step in here. He says a little bit later in 8, the next chapter, he says the law of Moses was unable to save us because the weakness of our sinful nature. The rules, what they do is they remind us how weak we are. They don't remind us how strong we are. You read enough rules, you're starting thinking, man, I can't play this on my own. And that's exactly the point. The rules don't do it. Mark Moore, he said it this way. He says, the law can point out our failures, but it cannot build our character. Paul said it this way. The more I think about the law, the more I find myself disobeying the law. A practical example is he says, don't covet. So you ask yourself, what does coveting mean? Coveting means wanting something else that someone else has. So you're like, well, that's weird. What would I want that someone else has? And you start looking around. That's a nice ring. Oh, wow. You got a great car. Oh, wow. And before you know it, you're now coveting. And you're thinking, how can I get what they have? Well, I don't like what I have. That's what the law does. You read the rules. You start thinking about the rule. You start thinking about the rule. You start the cycle. I'm not good enough. I don't understand this. And so then he, he says something else as he continues. He said, so God did, in other words, God stepped in and did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body, like the bodies we sinners have. And in the body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow us the spirit. He does more than just give us forgiveness. He gives us another way to live. His Holy Spirit gives us the opportunity to choose to fight against the flesh, to choose a different path. And we understand that the law isn't there so that we enter into a relationship with God. We enter into a relationship with God, and then we live out the law as a way of pleasing God. It's so simple, but when you think about how to apply it on Wednesday, that's when it gets challenging. You remember, like, I failed again. Let that point you to Christ and saying, who's going to deliver me? Thank you, Jesus. And out of gratitude, you're like, give me the strength to live differently. Romans 6.14 gives us that promise. It said, sin is no longer your master. In other words, you don't have to get stuck in the same habit. It's a fight, but you don't have to get stuck there, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Grace gives us the gift that frees us from obsessing over the law. The more you obsess over the law, the more either distant you feel or the more judgmental you become to other people, and it creates this really negative cycle. But freedom we find in Christ turns the question to how do I please God in my life? John 15, 5, Jesus says this. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, instead of focusing on the rules, just focus on being in Christ. You know, I grew up and I, I, I lived next to an orchard. And I would drive near this orchard. And I was always surprised that when my windows were down, I did not hear the trees screaming. 
Like I didn't hear the trees screaming or moaning or groaning, yet they had apples. And I'm like, you're giving birth to all these apples, yet they're not making any noise. How are you doing that? Like the trees work really hard, don't they? The trees are like, let me check my pH level real quick. They check their own pH level. Like, do you have enough water? Let me hit, let's wait for the sun. What do trees do? They're just planted. They just exist in a relationship with the ground. And fruit is the product of it. They don't try hard. They just exist. It's a different way of thinking about it, right? It's oversimple. But what does it mean to be in Christ? What's it mean to allow him to flow through us? What means we stop focusing on the rules and focus on who Jesus is? We ended last week's message with this text from Galatians, with Paul saying basically the same things. He says, those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under a curse. In other words, you're cursed, you're not bearing any fruit. Instead, you're just going to be judgmental and hypocritical, and you're going to have an awful attitude. He says, for the scripture says, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands. In other words, if you're going to play the obey the rule game, you better obey them all, or people are going to call you a hypocrite, or you're always going to think you fall short from God, and you can't have a relationship with God, and on and on and on. He goes, that's the curse. You're never going to feel good about yourself or your relationship with God. He goes, so it's clear. No one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law, for the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. It is by faith that you'll actually produce fruit. This way of faith is a very different path than following the way of the law, which says one path is I'm going to obey the law. I'm going to be right with God. The other path says I'm going to abide in Christ. And because I'm in Christ, I'll start bearing fruit. That'll actually kind of give the same result, but with better heart connection. I feel better about myself and understand this is a different way of living. It's complicated. Everybody kind of caught up in the complexity. I wrote this message on Thursday and Friday, and Saturday, and this morning. <laughs> I'm like, it's hard to communicate this truth. It's easy to sit in a room and just say, I got it. But how do you live it out through the week is the complicated part of it. It's challenging. And so three things, the best thing I could do was sum it up in three things that'll make it so simple that you'll live it out perfectly. One is we have to accept our new identity through Christ. Like you have to just accept your identity is in Christ. You have to accept that when you give your life to Jesus, your identity is remade in Christ. 1 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. It's an identity you have to live. If you keep the identity where I'm a sinner, that's how you're going to live. If you keep thinking, I'm a sinner, I'm a mess up, I never amount to anything, I can't, I can't, I can't, that's how you'll live. I love it, it was Neil T. Anderson. He said, I'm not a sinner. I'm a saint that sins. You heard the difference? <laughs> I'm a saint that has a sin problem, but don't label me a sinner because Jesus took care of that label. Growing up, I didn't understand that, and so when I thought I was a sinner, boy, I lived like a sinner, and it was fun. Till it wasn't. Till it was empty. Till I was caught, and I was like, oh, this, this isn't as good as I thought it was. The second thing we could do is embrace freedom. Galatians 5, 1, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. If Wednesday you start thinking, my relationship with God must be busted because I'm still struggling with sin, you're getting re-caught up. Look at the language there. Stay free. Don't get tied up under these rules again. It makes you miserable. It makes other people miserable. Don't do it. 
In 13, it says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. We're free. We don't have to memorize all the rules. We don't have to look at this and argue with one another. We can actually just start saying, what is the loving thing that encourages you that bears fruit? What a better way of living. The game's so much more fun to play when I'm not obsessing over every single rule. And the third thing is follow the Spirit. He says, so I say, this is still Galatians 5. He says, I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Letting the Holy, God, the Holy Spirit guide your life looks like this. God, how would you have me live right now? How would you have me go today with a purpose? How can I ingest life into school or work or my family? What will bring life? How do I love them? Not what shouldn't I do today. What can I do today? It's a different focus. And here's what he says in 17. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. The Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are sometimes constantly. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. You know what that means? It never ends. It means there's no decade where you're magically cured. I thought every 10 years I'd get better. Like at 30, this is going to be my year. At 40, this is going to be my year. My wife said 40 was my year. I'm perfect now. That's what she told me. She didn't. I lied again. <laughs> I lied to you all. All right. She didn't say that. Constantly we're fighting. You're not free to carry out your good intentions. In other words, when you focus on the rules, you focus on the flesh, guess what the result is? You're not going to live out the way you want. It's sad. It's a reality. Focus on the rules. Inevitably, you're going to corrupt under the rules, you're going to cave in, and you're going to give up. But when you're directed by the Spirit, when you live your life proactively, God, how can I honor you? Something amazing happens, fruit appears. He says, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. The good news is we have a choice to let the Holy Spirit guide our lives. The bad news is the flesh is always going to be there. The Spirit says, hey, you should call somebody. The flesh says, I'm tired in the game zone. Spirit says, why don't you be generous? Why don't you treat them the meal? You're like, I like my money. You'll know what the Spirit tells you to do today, won't you? Spirit will encourage you to do something that's nice. That'll cost you something. And the flesh says, no, 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 don't do that. Let's do this instead. So how do we know if this is working? How do we know if we're playing by the rules or playing by Jesus? Instead, you just turn around and look at the results. Galatians 5, 19 says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. He gives quite a list in verse 20, but he only lists a few things, and he ends it with, and all other sins, right? So if I put the list up there, you'll feel good about yourself if your list isn't on there. So just focus on this part where he says, and other sins like these. In other words, when you're judgmental, that's the flesh. Hey, when you're comparing yourself to someone else, that's the flesh. When you're selfish, that's the flesh. When you're hurting somebody's feelings because it feels good, flesh. When you let somebody have it, flesh. When you're not forgiving, flesh. What's the Spirit do? It's fruit. This is what the fruit looks like. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law. There's no rules against these things. The most practical example I could come up with this morning 
was, have you been in an environment that's based on rules, not relationship? I'll give you the example. Let's say I come home to my family. This is made up, so kids are off the hook. Let's say you pull into your driveway, and your kids are excited to see you when you pull in, but the scooter's out in the driveway. And so I walk in the door, and they're, dad, dad, dad. I'm like, hey, who left their scooter outside? I could have hit that thing. What happens in the room? And then I'm like, and by the way, you left the milk out this morning. That's the second time this week I've been keeping track. What happens? Conversation changes, doesn't it? All of a sudden, the kids don't want to tell me about their day because I'm a rule enforcer. And that happened this week in a different kind of conversation I won't tell you about. And I felt it. And I was like, that is not good fruit. I was right. So I felt I was justified. The rule wasn't kept. But it changed the dynamic of the house. You don't want God to interact with you by keeping all the rules, do we? We need to have a gracious thing. Because what would happen if I came in and said, hey, tell me about it. What happened to your day? And they tell me, and I'm like, hey, by the way, guess what? Uh, I, when I pulled in, the scooter was there, and I had to get out of the car. And I'm like, dad, I'm so sorry. I was just so excited because I had such a good day. I couldn't wait to tell you. And I left the scooter outside. Blah, blah, blah. All right, well, let's go pick the scooter up. Then we go clean up that mess together. And the rule's the rule, but sometimes the rule doesn't. You do this all the time as parents. Like, there's a hard rule, but then you change it for the benefit of somebody else. You know, like, the bedtime's at 8 o'clock, right? But every now and again, the kids have a hard day. You're like, hey, you know what? Let's go to bed at night. Let's stand up talking. Let's watch something. Your heavenly Father loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him, not behaves in him, believes in him, will have eternal life. We're given that gift because he wants us to be reconciled with him. And then because we're reconciled with him, we do things that are good for him because we love him. We know it's a better way. But we don't trust ourselves to do it. We let God help us. Pray to God now. God, uh, something is so simple you could say it in a sentence. But this week, we'll get hung up on the fact of, as a rule breaker, what does it do in our relationship? God, remind us that we don't follow you to have a right relationship with you. We have a right relationship because of what Jesus did. And because of what Jesus did, we have the strength and power to actually do the right thing. But when we mess this order up, it messes up our relationship with you. It messes up our relationship with other people. We become angry and judgmental, and we're just toxic. The world needs to have a better understanding of what it means to have a right relationship with you. And God, we need a world that's willing to be as encouraging as you are. God, when I sense in my spirit that I can't overcome something, that I'm a failure, that I'm a loser, that I'm a sinner, God, that voice is not from you. Your Holy Spirit gives the voice that says we can do better. Let me empower you. And so, God, if we're finding our voice is more critical than compassionate, if we find ourselves more concerned over doing just the right thing than helping someone progress in their Christ-likeness, lead us by your Spirit to do better. And God, when we fail, remind us that you love us, that you gave your life for us, and there's a better path. Thanks for the gift of this morning. Thanks for finding encouragement in this space, in this room today. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. 
We hope something you heard today will draw you closer to God and encourage you to know Him better. If you found this message podcast helpful, please subscribe, write a review, and consider sharing it with someone else. If there is anything we can do for you, a question we could talk through with you, a prayer we could say on your behalf, or a need you have, please don't hesitate to let us know. We are better together. Please connect with us soon. Take care.